Welcome to AACS Today, the official podcast of the American Association of Christian Schools. Thank you for joining us on episode number five of AACS Today. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast and to leave us a review if you're able to do so. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn. And soon enough, we'll also be on iHeartRadio and Pandora. Please hit subscribe and consider leaving us a review. And of course, help spread the word about the podcast to other Christian schools who would benefit from the content. On today's podcast, and joining us is, and I think we're going to change your title, Jameson, to co-host. He is our AACS Legislative Director to discuss the Paycheck Protection Program, which is uh, something I am sure that is on the minds of many of our school leaders who are wrestling with this. So, uh, Jameson, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Matt. I'm wondering if co-host uh, titles also includes a pay raise. You know, that's typically how a uh, change in title works, you know. Well, we'll see how this Paycheck Protection Act discussion goes, and then maybe we can talk about uh, pay raise later. We'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Go. All right. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Well, we've got a, we've got a big topic, and we need to, we need to dive into some things because our school leaders have some important decisions to make in, uh, in the coming days, Jameson. So Indeed. some guidance, some guidance from the small business administration came down last night on the paycheck protection division. And on Monday, we were recommending schools contact their banks as we worked on some of the religious liberty protections. So here's the question as we get started, Jameson, did we get those protections? Mostly. Do, do you want more information than that? <laughs> well, I would I would actually love more information, and I'm sure our school leaders would as well. So please enlighten us. Uh, all right. I'm a, I might be a little punchy today because it's been a, a busy week. In fact, I think you said we talked on Monday, and I'm thinking, was it really just Monday? It seems like it was a year or two ago. Um, a lot has been going on this week um, in our office, and I'm sure in many other people's offices, but for us, it's been related to the regulations that we were anticipating from the CARES Act passage last Friday. And they did uh, come down last night with the uh, proposed regulation. And our perspective this entire week has been making sure that we communicate clearly that religious liberties and the protection of religious liberties paramount. This is really important. Um, I was on a conference call this morning with another group, and um, this is kind of the – someone stated what everybody's been swimming in, the waters we've been swimming in. You know, the government wanted to deliver the money quickly, and so they used the existing structure, the SBA um, loan structure that's already in existence in order to not have to recreate the wheel but to provide a way to deliver these funds. Right. But when you do that, you drag along with that program all of the expectations and regulations and everything that goes with the, the bureaucratically heavy government system we have right now. So it's been a really, really busy week of trying to figure out all the ways that our schools might be exposed to threats to their religious liberty and trying to communicate, not trying, communicating, trying to achieve protections. Um, So we have been, um, you know, I I said earlier, 
to someone hundreds of emails, but it, it might be over a thousand emails um, communicating with um, folks to make sure that these regulations protect religious liberty. And so my my first answer that they mostly do is true. Um, there was a really strong statement about the intent and the um, the actual protections that are already in the regs, and then we also have a promise of more to come. So that's good news. That is good news, uh, but you know we didn't get the specific language that we wanted in the bill. But what what can you share? What did we get? Is there a specific language that was given? What what can you tell us? Yeah, so we always are pushing for any government program that the recipients are not considered um, recipients of federal financial assistance, FFA for short. And that is our primary purpose, to make sure that our ministries, if they're going to participate in a program for students, um, school choice, um, equitable services, any program, that they not be considered recipients of federal financial assistance. Because they used an existing SBA framework in order to deliver these this paycheck protection money, um, there there's some debate about whether or not it automatically has to be considered FFA. So what we've done is is proposed multiple ways that the money can still be delivered without the strings that typically come with with being considered a recipient of. FFA. The good news is, at best, we will be considered indirect recipients, and that that comes with a much lower threshold of um, obligation than the others. And so, while we didn't get that explicit statement, um, we got really strong language that is exceptionally helpful. It will provide a measure of protection for our ministries. And so, in fact, Matt, I thought maybe I could um, share with you some of what that language is, if if that would be helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea because I think our school leaders are going to want to hear what this language is as they make make their decision on how they're going to move forward with this. Yeah, if you're looking at the reg, it's number five in in the um, in the order of um, points, and so it says additional information. All loans guaranteed by the SBA pursuant to the CARES Act will be made consistent with constitutional, and of course, for us, that's going to be First Amendment religious liberty, statutory, and regulatory protections for religious liberty. I mean, that says you know. All of those things are still going to apply for our ministries, including the First Amendment to the Constitution, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, um, and the SBA regulations that it references there. And then this is um, the specific um, verbiage. Nothing in the SBA non-discrimination regulations, and th- those are the concerns. Remember we said they're using an existing structure of the SBA loan program. Right. And they have certain non-discrimination regulations. So nothing in those regulations shall apply to a religious corporation, association, educational institution, or society with respect to the membership or the employment of individuals of particular religion to perform work connected with the carrying on by such corporation, association, educational institution, or society of its religious activities. SBA, And so, that, you know, that is really strong language that says your religious character will not be compromised 
if you take part in this program. And then the last part of that is they, they intend to um, promptly issue additional guidance with regard to religious liberty protections under this program. And so we were hoping that they would be released before our podcast was recorded today. We haven't seen them yet, but we anticipate them fairly soon, maybe even today. Uh, uh, the last email I think I answered last night on this issue was midnight. So um, people are working in the bureaucracy all hours late into the night, working on getting these regulations out as quickly as possible. Yeah, and while we would have loved to have seen this type of language in the bill itself, there is a level of comfort that comes uh, from at least seeing this bear itself out uh, in in the regulation. So that, even though we didn't get perhaps, you know, exactly what we wanted, this is um, this is at least a little bit encouraging. I suppose we could say it, it really is. And then you have to step back and see it in the context of the other things that are going on. You have House and Senate leadership boldly proclaiming that this should not be used in order to uh, threaten anyone's religious liberty. Right. You have an administration that has done many things executively to increase religious liberty. You have a Supreme Court that is swung in. They're starting to swing away from what are called establishment cases. And those are all the cases that people bring that says I, I, there shouldn't be prayer in the public school or there shouldn't be prayer from a coach. There shouldn't be prayer at a city council meeting. Uh, this cross should not be standing in the city square. Um, this flag shouldn't be flown over the – all of those cases were establishment cases. Is this the government establishing religion? Well, the Supreme Court is swinging in a really – strong free exercise direction you know so in in light of the overall context of religious liberty where the administration's at the current legal environment all of those things we feel pretty comfortable advising people that um, the outcome of this should be very few strings attached and and none so far as we can see right now that will materially affect the way we operate as religious institutions. But Jameson, are there any caveats about uh, about this? Um, we're not necessarily recommending or advising against the program. Uh, we're just trying to, as an association, share the information with our member schools and, and the leadership teams represented to help them make the best decision possible. So what caveats would you share? Yeah, so what comes to mind when you say that is, you know, we as religious organizations, we always take on some amount of risk when we participate in government programs. Um, I don't think that that was the intent at our founding. I really don't. But that's kind of how things have developed in our country. I think our founders intended for religious organizations, religious people to be to exercise full citizenship within the structure of the country. And that's what the First Amendment really was for. It prohibits the government from establishing a church or, or a test, a religious test for people. But it also protects religious people to freely be religious and be full members of civil society. Mm -hmm. And so over the years, that started to change. Again, my comments about the Supreme Court and free exercise, the tension between free exercise and, and establishment is starting to swing in a better direction, but there's still risks. And there's always risks when in the current political 
environment when a religious organization participates in a government program. So there's that tension between government mandates and how far they reach and authentic, real religious liberty, being able to freely exercise. That's the case under regular circumstances, right? That Not even to talk about crisis circumstances right. that we're under. And these are really just unprecedented times. And so what a ministry has to do is they have to determine if the religious liberty protections that have already been articulated um, are sufficient. Um, you, again, you have to look at the circumstances too. Do you trust that as the regulations move forward and their promise of more religious liberty protection language as they work through the issues, as they work through potential ways that religious liberty might be threatened from the administration with that promise of more protections with organizations like ADF saying, listen, we think that this is going to be um, something acceptable for ministries to participate in. And, you know, we're going to step up to the plate if it doesn't end up that way. We're going to litigate um, in court if this program's used in order to threaten religious liberties. And so a, minist- a ministry should evaluate all of those things, weigh the risk, but also weigh the, the potential of not participating and what it might mean to their ministry, what it might mean for their employees, and then decide if they should take part with some of the limited risks that are, are potential and which potentially are, are um, unseen, maybe you know to come, but unsure. And so um, I, I would say that that's kind of my caveat. You've got to take a kind of a look at this and decide for your ministry how that might play out for you. Yeah, and we're talking about that word risk and risks. So I guess a follow-up question to that caveat that you just said is, is there a way for a ministry to limit those risks then? Yeah, I I think so. Um, Today, I think, was the first day for applications to be processed. The application form was finalized last night and and, um, uh, promulgated, sent out. Um, it, it, information related to that is going to be in our updated information on our COVID resources website. And so if, if you're deciding that you want to move forward to apply for the program, you really must look at it as our recommendation, of course, is as a short-term option. The program's designed to be eight weeks of paycheck protection. Use it for that. There, there are specified uses, uh, mortgage interest, rent, utilities, and payroll. Um, Make sure you understand the obligations for using the money for that. If you desire to have it forgiven, and that's what we would say, use it for that purpose, for maintaining operations, maintaining payroll for your employees. And if you're going to seek the forgiveness, the grant, only use it for those things so that it can be forgiven and and you're out of it once it's done. One of the ways that that you can make sure that it's used that way is – open up a separate bank account, deposit any money, any proceeds that might come from this program into a separate account and keep diligent financial records of how the funds were used so that you can prove that you used them for the qualifying reasons and then only use those funds for the qualifying reasons. And then maybe most importantly to limit your risk is don't, you know, try your best not to convert it into a long-term loan. I think that, I think 10 years, if I recall right, is the outside marker for how long this can be paid back. But we would encourage you, if you're going to take the 
um, emergency funding under the payroll protection provision um, from the Small Business Administration. Make sure that it's only used for that that specifically and only for the short term. Yeah, so then to follow up, because I know we're always leery of programs like this. So from a conservative perspective, can there can there be a conservative argument made that these federal programs are something different than previous stimulus bills? Because as conservatives, we we want the government to do limited things. And as believers, we certainly understand and know and believe that God orders what he pays for. So is participation in these programs something schools can take part in good conscience? That's the question. It's a great question, Matt. And, um, you know, everyone, again, we, we believe in the freedom of local ministries and local believers and pastors and, and congregations to make these decisions. And so we encourage everyone to evaluate the risks and answer their own conscience, you know, not, not just to make a, a, um, a cold, rational calculation, but also weigh your conscience out about this before you decide to take part in it. But something really that's helped me think about this is, and I think part of your question was, um, is this different than previous stimulus bills right. or other government programs? And I, I really believe it is. And the thing that's helped me think through it, I think the best is uh, the principles of the eminent domain. Um, you know, in the ministry we were in, in, in uh, for eight years in, in Colorado, you know, we had to deal with our local government and we had to deal with some eminent domain issues. And so when you think about eminent domain, you think about the government coming in and taking something that belongs to you, your property, mm-hmm. and then they have to reimburse you. In, in America, we understand that sometimes government has to act for the benefit of the community. Um, and if they do, they just can't come in and take it, right. you know, like we can, like, like um, socialistic or, or communistic governments come in. Right. Because we have strong principles of private property in America, but... The community matters too. And so if the government needs to build a road or a library or a hospital and they need some portion of private property, I don't think there's any of our churches that wouldn't say, well, you know, as part of the community, we understand this this needs to happen, but the government ought to pay for it. Mm-hmm. I think that really applies to this situation because uh, James Madison, one of my favorite documents from the founding is his essay. It's called On Property makes this really powerful argument for religious liberty and religious conscience being a, an actual property. You own your inner life, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is great. But he also makes this arg- argument about employment. You own the labor of your hands. It's, it's those two things, your religious conscience and what you choose to do in this world for labor, how you earn your living is really, I think, what is meant by happiness in the declaration. Mm. Um, and so the government has said, to people, you can't go to work. They've closed down their places of work. They have, they've said for the community and to save people's lives, we need to do this together. Mm-hmm. I think there's an eminent domain principle in all of that. Um, you know, millions of citizens now are without work, honoring, being law-abiding citizens, honoring their government, even though the government, I would argue, is stretching a little bit mm. of what it's, it can do in a Republican society. We're saying, okay, if the risk is that great, we're willing to set aside uh, some, of, some of that in this emergency and do what's right. Well, 
I, I think that the government in, in many ways then is responsible to pay for what they have taken. Now, I know the mechanism that we're doing that through is, is convoluted, right? We've built up layers and layers of, of probably bad um, governmental ways of operating. Right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of bureaucratic government. Um, and, the, and the mechanism to deliver this, this money is through the bureaucracy. But uh, philosophically, I would say this really isn't the government handing out stimulus. It may stimulate the economy by protecting people's jobs or, or it may protect the economy. I don't think it will stimulate it. It may try to restore some stability so that we can, when it's over, we can be ready to go and grow again. It's not trying to control people's behavior by throwing money at them or compel them to do something or not do something, which many programs often do. It really is something that I think is more akin to eminent domain than it is to uh, stimulus or government um, trying to control behavior by paying for things. Yeah, that's a very helpful analogy because just looking at it at the outset, it's it's a lot to process as a leader. You know, I'm trying to put myself uh, in in the shoes of some of our leaders, trying trying to just you know look, look at the bills and look look at just you know look at what's before them over the next couple of months. But that eminent domain illustration, I think, really helps bring some clarity. Uh, to it, so uh, so thanks for thanks for sharing that. I think that's going to be helpful for our leaders as they think through it. But well, it helped it, it helped me just to think about it that way because eminent domain's real. We all have sacrificed property for the community and expected that the government make us whole for providing that. I, I see these programs more in that vein. That you know we have sacrificed. We've had property taken from us. It's right that the government makes us whole uh, for that taking of something real and substantial. Yeah. Let's, let's begin to kind of wind down this episode here. Yeah. But let's talk about two more things. What if they do participate though, Jameson, and some of the political winds change down the road? I mean, we have an election coming. We have some court cases on the horizon. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think William, I think it was William F. Buckley that said the definition of a conservative is someone who stands athwart history and yells stop. Um, uh, I've also heard being a conservative is uh, uh, there's a Greek mythology where someone, I think someone's cursed to push a rock uphill. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, as conservatives, sometimes you feel that way in government that you're constantly countering the natural gravity of things. Mm. So I guess I would just say, you know, because the SBA loans are so invested in, um, not invested, that's not the right way to frame it, but because the the, the SBA loans have civil rights requirements that are broad, Mm -hmm. right? We as religious institutions enjoy some exemptions from civil rights legislation because it violates like religious hiring practice and the philosophy of people who minister the gospel to our people. And so the SBA world, Small Business Administration, doesn't have that same sort of religious liberty look. And so they require full compliance with all civil rights legislation. There's a, there's a couple of bills, right? I'm sorry. There's a couple of bills that were proposed last, uh, the, I'm sorry, this current session of Congress, one called the Equality Act, that if that would pass, it would fundamentally change civil rights and it would come into conflict with religious liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, there's a case that was heard in the Supreme Court. We expect a decision 
they'll probably wait till June. I don't know if this crisis will push any of this back. But we expect very soon a decision in Zarda, and it was combined with a, a, a case called Bostock, in which the very definition of the word sex, which I think it was, you know, it, it's hard to believe that anybody wouldn't think that when that law was passed, sex meant male-female. But in today's um, society, sex has become uh, akin to sexual orientation and gender identity. We right. use a, a shorthand soji sometimes to talk about that. Well, this case will decide if when civil rights laws were passed that protect people from discrimination on the basis of sex, if that now means sexual orientation and gender identity. If the Supreme Court decides that and our ministries are subject to following civil rights laws that base, uh, based on not discrimination on the basis of sex, and that now means sexual orientation and gender identity, that would come in complete conflict with our biblical view of human sexuality, the creative order, the fact that God made men, men, made men and, and women and made them complementary to each other sexually, right. but, but distinctly. Um, then that will definitely come into conflict with how we operate um, our schools. So, you know, long-term political wins, um, Supreme Court cases, all could have a bearing on these. Um, again, that's why maybe I'll circle back to if you if you decide to participate in the program, then definitely make sure it's for paycheck, those expenses. It's delivered um, in order to make your employees, uh, keep them employed, and then uh, keep it for the short term. Don't convert it into those long-term loans. Good, 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 good. One final thing I know, and we won't talk about it just a whole lot here, but we do have uh, an updated white paper um, and some things that have been updated on the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Is there anything you want to just pull out of what's uh, up on our web uh, webpage to share with our listeners, or do we just want to direct them to that and say, go check it out because there have been some changes? Yeah, the the foundational information that we've provided before is solid. Um, there's some clarifying of definitions of like uh, the, the process of how you calculate uh, worker pay, um, what qualifies for um, the different the different words are, are defined. And so the regulation came down um, I think Monday, if I recall right, and uh, we've updated a few things on our CARES Act and on the regulation for the uh, Family First Cor- uh, Coronavirus Response Act. Uh, that was, you know, made effective April first. So if you have employees that have that sick time benefit or are going to take the FMLA, the expanded FMLA leave then uh, checking out those updated documents, I think, should be helpful for you as you work through those issues. Well, Jameson, this has been a helpful discussion, and I know our school leaders will be uh, grateful for it. And we just, you know, we want them to know that, hey, we're, we're praying for you uh, to make a decision, you know, that honors the Lord as you as you deal really with unprecedented situations. You know, none of us have dealt with uh, a pandemic, particularly in in our lifetime, and so um, we're praying for you, and and we're here uh, specifically, Jameson and the team on the front lines, you know, having important conversations and and pushing for religious liberty and the things that that you value as a ministry, we value those things too, and so 
our work's important. And I know Jamison, you've had a, had a long week, but thanks for joining us on the podcast here at the end of the week to, to give our school leaders a, a brief update. You're welcome. It's a privilege to be with you. And we are continuing and will continue to update you as these things develop. Thanks for joining us on episode five. Just know that on the podcast, we're committed to tackling the big questions that you're wrestling with as a school leader, especially in light of these unprecedented times as we deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. We trust that you will have a great day, and we look forward to seeing you next time on AACS Today. 